Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Celebrating World Cup Lives. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. What a pleasure it is to have you with us for another edition of Celebrating World Cup Lives. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. And at this time of the year where we're so focused on cricket and what has been going on around the World Cup and some great signs for Australia in the past five weeks or so. We've been burning the midnight oil and I'm sure my guest has as well. He's been one of the best known names in Australian and Victorian cricket for a long time. His name is Cameron White and he's my guest in the studio. Cam, welcome. Thanks, Pete. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yep, I'm going well, thanks. How's the eyes? You like the rest of us with the matchsticks holding up the eyes and uh, it's been uh, late nights, but it's been enjoyable. It has, and especially now that uh, the Aussies, I think, have really got their... uh well, game plan and style sort of bettered down, and um, yeah, I'm, well, my eyes are okay. I must admit, I do check the highlights sometimes if I need a bit of extra <laughs> kip in the in the in the night and, and uh, get on get online and have a look at the you know the highlights and the match rundown in the mornings. But um, I think it's promising signs now. We've spoken to a few of the boys. We've spoken to Simon O'Donnell and Damien Fleming in the lead up to some earlier matches and. Um, we've mused about what's been going on uh, in the World Cup. The bounces back, a short pitch delivery, and one day cricket. Yeah, it was for a while at the start of the tournament. It seems to be, you know, just they've forgotten about it now. I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other thing is, as a spin bowler, you would love to have seen the fact that spin has been opening the innings as well in a 50 over game. Who would have thought? Yeah, who would have thought that? I think uh, South Africa sprung the surprise of the tournament when they opened with um, Imran Tahir in the very first game of the tournament against. Uh, England, which looked like it was going to work wonders when they took, a, I think he took a wicket in his first first over, and then um, that was about the highlight of South Africa's uh, tournament, <laughs> I think. It just went downhill from there. So, yeah, but I think, uh, you know, India, especially playing the two spinners, uh, they're still the, have been, in my eyes, always the favourites and still are. What about the likes of Kohli? Give us the cricketer's insight into Virat Kohli. Well, I'm glad I'm not bowling at him. That's yeah. for sure. I'm sure. I think uh, obviously he's that good now. They've, you know, the he's at a stage where you know I think bowlers would be you know not having nightmares, but they know they're up there. They've got a very difficult job in front of them when they're bowling to him, and he's he's that good now. They they're not even trying to get him out bowled anymore. They're trying to just keep the ball outside off stump to him, and hopefully, you know, he um, he hits it or gets an edge somewhere, you know, from point around to the slip. So. When you're a batsman and there, you, you know you're not bowling at the, you're not getting the ball bowled at the stumps. You not you can't be out uh, LBW or bowled, so that probably that helps a fair bit straight away. <laughs> but um, oh, look, I think he's now you know across you know public maybe apart from you know the, over in England with the red swinging juke ball, which he did manage to get another century last time they toured there. But um, that's probably his one sort of you know area that he's probably going to look to tick off in his in his career. Um, but apart from that, from a bowling Bowling and thinking about bowling point of view to him, I think it's, you know, there's no weaknesses there and he's just keeps breaking records. I think last night we saw he broke another record with some ridiculous ridiculous figure about how quickly he scored his runs So in ODI cricket. So it's just uh, hard to believe that you can score that many centuries almost in ODI cricket. Now, speaking of the balls, there's been a lot of controversy about the balls for the upcoming Ashes series. What's your take on where we sit with the cricket ball over there? Well, yeah, back here in domestic cricket, we've been uh, trying out the Jukes ball, and from a batting point of view, that's no, that's no fun. I can tell you that yeah. um, um, 
from from my point of view anyway. But um, yeah, the look, I think the white kookaburra. I don't think anyone's got too many troubles with that. I think if anything, the pitches maybe you know they we around the world produce very very you know batter friendly pitches in white ball cricket. But I think that's what the fans want to see, don't they? I think they want to see plenty mm. of runs and and fours and sixes. But on the flip side, obviously makes the the bowler's job a little bit harder. So, um, look, I think from a white ball point of view, I don't think anyone's got too many dramas. All the talk around is, do we play with a universal red ball around the country? Obviously, here in Australia, we play with a kookaburra. England's a Duke, Duke's ball. You know, thinking to the West Indies, I think it's some sort of, S, I think it's an SG ball. So, but uh, look, I'm not, I don't really have the answer there, I don't think, Pete. But um, Do you think we'll ever get to the stage, Cam, where they standardise it? Or are there too many disparate entities Yeah, there's too cricket? many variables, I think, from country to country. I think if you... If we took a you know a kookaburra ball over to England, it wouldn't be the answer. I'm not sure the English Duke would would stand up in our conditions here in Australia either. So I think maybe just with you know uh, as things do, they evolve. So maybe the you know the kookaburras of the world and Dukes, you know, they keep producing a better cricket ball, and you know hopefully that saves everyone complaining about it. Now, you said before that you are glad you're not bowling to Virat Kohli. Well, maybe you should be the secret weapon because, after all... <laughs> I'm not sure what your theory is there. Uh, well, I'll tell you what my theory is. <laughs> you tell me who your first test wicket was. Well, I, there's a bit of a story to this. So that was at Bangalore, and obviously you're alluding to Sachin Tendulkar. Yes. Now it was dark. The, I'm not sure the lights were switched on, and it was you know it was late in the the second I think second day. So no, don't tell us all the bad stuff. Tell us the good stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, I looped up another straight one, and I think it went into the into the shadows of the Bangalore stand, and he chipped it up to short cover. So I think that was uh, very lucky. And I think the second time, actually, I did get him out twice, but um, the second time I somehow managed to spin one away from the right hander's bat in the. And I think that surprised him as well, and he managed to somehow get it to slip. So. But anyway, that's uh, something I can look back on in my career and tick, you know, say that I've got the great man out. Every wicket is special when you're bowling, but is it really a thrill when you get someone like him out? Well, I hadn't got too many wickets at the time, so it was probably it was good it was good to obviously get that wicket. But um, I think it's more when you you know maybe finish your career and yeah. you know people ask you, you know, did you ever get anyone out? It was any good sort of thing, I guess you can say. Yeah, well, I got Sachin Tendulkar out in the dark one day at Bangalore when he couldn't see, so that, uh, that worked well. No, don't tell him that bit. You've got to leave that bit out. Uh, what's, what's cricket life for you at the moment, Cam? Yeah, well, it's obviously changed quite a lot for me in the last few months. Um, finished up playing with Victoria, so um, yeah, I was sort of looking ahead to the, you know, how my cricket career is going to look, and you know, especially now, maybe focusing a little bit more towards, a, I think I want to go down the coaching path, so so I'm sort of got half an eye on that, but obviously I'm still playing another year of Big Bash with the Adelaide Strikers. So I think that'll be a really good change for me. I've known all my cricket in uh, in Victoria, playing either with either of the Big Bash franchises or obviously with uh, with the Bush Rangers or the Victorian men's cricket team as they're known now. So yeah, something a little bit new um, and just focusing on that, I guess. Um, I am doing a little bit of coaching with the Victorian under-17s and 19s, so dipping my toe there. Um, I'm still playing with Melbourne Cricket Club here in the Premier Cricket competition, so that'll be great um, to get involved back at Premier Cricket a bit more. Um, we'll put in a bit more time in there, and it'll be good prep for me going into Big Bash. With regard to the coaching, uh, I've spoken to a lot of people on this program who eventually have gone from playing into coaching, and they say along the way they might keep a journal of ideas and things that have worked for them. Is that the same for you in your playing career? Yeah, I guess one of the things, um, one of the lucky things that I've had now looking forward to a coaching career um, 
in my playing career was I've played in the IPL and county cricket um, for Australia, Australia A. So I think I, I, I never kept a journal about how many coaches or um, made notes on good and bad ones, but um, I probably made mental notes about what's been good about um, some of the coaches and and on the flip side, bad. So I've had a lot of experience about uh, you know just being involved with a lot of different teams or in all different conditions around the world um, in different countries. So hopefully uh, that holds me in a good position to sort of put into place what might work from a coaching point of view. But um, I guess that's from a head coaching point of view, which is that, you know, a bit like footy in some ways, it seems like if you're a head coach of a team, you're sort of really man managing. You're sort of not doing a hell of a lot of hands-on sort of coaching where at the moment I think uh, I enjoy talking about the game and helping younger players go about and work out how to be good players, I guess. So I think that's where it's at for me at the moment. Um, Maybe head coaching might be something that interests me down the track, but I like the hands-on sort of technical sort of side of it at the moment. Who was the coach who had the most influence on you in your career? Uh, probably two. Uh, I think David Hooks, obviously before his passing, um, in his short, so I saw it was like three or four years that I sort of spent with him. Um, and he's understudy Greg Shippard at that time. He's, well, Greg was the assistant coach at that time to Hooksy. Um, so they were the two guys that sort of, you know, influenced my career the most, sort of David in totally different ways, sort of like giving me the opportunity to coach, uh, sorry, to captain Victoria at such an early age. And then Greg Shippard, just as, you know, an all-round cricket person for the next sort of 10 years, you know, working with him as captain while he was coaching, you know, the Victorian cricket side plus the, what are the 2020 comp before, whatever it was called before, um, I'm sure I'm age now, uh, <laughs> before it was called the Big Bash. So, um, yeah, his cricket knowledge, Greg's cricket knowledge um, combined with just man managing people taught me so much and sh- probably shaped me as a person as a, and, a, and a cricketer, no doubt. But um, but Hooksy obviously providing me with that opportunity to captain and um, and he was such a great bloke as well. Just, you know, even from a young fellow, I was only 17 or 18 at the time, talking and listening to, listening to him you know, talk about the game and telling stories, you know, in the in the change rooms mm. after, you know, winning games of cricket for, for Victoria. I think that were some, uh, you know, memories that I'll, you know, I'll have forever. Speaking of Hooksy, uh, it's been a terribly tough time for Australian cricket um, over the last decade and a bit because Philip Hughes is, is more recent in our memory and, and the grief that everybody felt over that. But the grief that went through the team when Hooksy uh, met his untimely demise, what was the change room like at that time because it was such a tough time for everybody yeah obviously it wasn't a great time I guess probably from a personal point of view I was probably lucky that I was uh, maybe a bit younger at that time so I guess uh things like that um you know and obviously with the you know with the passing of Philip Hughes as well they sort of you know they everyone deals with those sort of situations very differently but yeah, it was a, it's hard to sort of think back and remember what that sort of how that affected each one, you know, the team and and uh, and individuals. But obviously, I can't answer for everyone else. But um, I guess thinking back to the, I remember that was the year we ended up winning the Sheffield Shield, and, mm. I thought, and it really it was it had a well, uh, it really made the team stick together, and you could tell we were going to win that sort of season from a long way out, sort of thing. So I do remember that sort of element to it I sort of made the team really sort of hard-nosed and you know do it for hooksy sort of thing so I I definitely remember that. Did it make a difference to you as a young guy because when when you're young and you're coming up through the ranks you sort of think you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof (laughs) and then something like this happens did did it make you reassess things 
at all, you know, just in life in general, that you needed to be careful because it only takes one moment for things to change so terribly? Well, probably the lucky thing for me, coming from uh, from Bensdale in, in East Gippsland, um, from a you know a small, very small town, I didn't have, I didn't really feel what the pressure, or I had, I didn't really, I was oblivious to it. I guess I was just um, going out there and playing cricket because you know I was just all of a sudden I was sort of fi- thinking about what was I going to do when I was finishing up school, and then next thing I know I was playing cricket for a living. So it sort of, I didn't have time to sort of feel the pressure of sort of playing professional professional sport until sort of later on when you become a bit more experienced and you wise up to how it all sort of works. And you, then, then I definitely felt um, the pressures of playing cricket uh, full-time. So I guess, uh, yeah, it just sort of depends how each individual takes the situation. Mm. Mm. We'll touch on those pressures that you felt because they came on you pretty quickly in your career. We'll For touch sure. on those a little bit later on. Now, you talked about Bensdale and growing up in Bensdale, and obviously most of this is going to be about cricket, but you've, you're a build who could have played footy. Did you ever play? <laughs> yeah, I, I missed and miss footy still to this day. I um, obviously once I started playing for Victoria, that was the end of my footy career. But um, look, I, Pete, I was a pretty he- I was a pretty heavy child, um, so I would have had to drop a few kilos earlier <laughs> on. So, um, but no, I, I played a couple of years of footy before um, or underage footy before I played started playing cricket for Victoria. So, yeah, I missed it. And up until a couple of years ago, I thought I would always maybe just try and sneak a kick in somewhere um, <laughs> when I play, finished playing cricket. But uh, uh, probably the, my body would now be telling me that that wouldn't be a smart move. Who did you grow up barracking for? Whoever won. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, Collingwood, 1990, West Coast, 1992, 1994. <laughs> so I would just uh, – and nothing much has changed too much, to be honest with you. Um, I still really like the footy, uh, but – I enjoy watching the good teams um, play rather than just, you know, uh, I wouldn't be going to watch, no offence to any of the lesser teams at the moment, <laughs> you know, a couple of the teams down the bottom of the order at the moment, uh, ladder at the moment. So um, I like watching individuals within the game as well, like just good players that are entertaining to, to go and watch. All right. So if footy wasn't going to be an option, it's going to be cricket. Who instilled the love of cricket in you? Ah. Uh, Probably people I was watching on TV, um, uh, along with probably my old man who used to, you know, play a bit of backyard cricket with when no one else was around. I guess so. But um, who were you in the backyard? Because everybody was somebody. Yeah, I think thinking back to you know Mark War and Shane Warren were the two people that I sort of you know I love watching play cricket on um, on the TV, and that was sort of obviously when I was younger and influenced by you know watching sport on TV. But they were the two people that I sort of you know tried to not emulate, but um, you know, look. You know, thought I just like watching them play. So, whether any of those uh, skills come out of my game, I'm not really sure. As I said, the pressure came on you at an early age because you were at the top level at an early age. But before you got there, was there somebody who came to you and said, "You've got what it takes to go to another level here"? <laughs> no, no one ever said that to me. But um, I think. Uh, for whatever reason, I think I was smart enough to work out that, you know, you had to work hard and um, I never saw myself, even from an early age, as, um, you know, an overly sort of gifted player that could float through and, and not work that hard. So I tried to work pretty hard on my on my skills and my game. So um, I can't remember if there's any one particular per- person that really said, you know, this is, you know, this is what you got to do. But maybe I, I was very lucky with uh, when I was starting my career that I, you know, I had some good players to just watch. I think that's what I did uh, as a younger player, even back in the country. You just, you know, you're influenced by the people, by your peers and the people you play with and against. So, um, yeah, I just sort of sat back and watched how other people, good players and good people go about their work, whether it was, you know, cricket or footy or whatever it was. So, 
maybe I was just lucky that I had, you know, I watched some good people that set good examples. Well, it obviously paid dividends because you went on to have a wonderful career. And as we said, it started early. I'll touch on that when we come back on the other side of the break. The fact that the pressure was on you from an early age, a very early captain, and all of the things that go along with being a captain at a tender age. Plenty to talk about with Cameron White on this edition of Celebrating World Cup Lives, all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Great to have Cameron White as my guest as we celebrate another World Cup life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. So, all of those things uh, align, Cam, and you come down, you, you thrust into the big time pretty quickly and you got a very early taste of it. How old were you when you first represented Victoria? Uh, I was 17 when I first played my, obviously, first game up in New South Wales, um, Sheffield Shield game at the SCG. Um, didn't play many games at the SCG from then on in, actually, because, you know, I think footy took over and might have played um, at some other venues. But that was a pretty um, big sort of occasion and ground, sort of looking back on it, to, to play my first game at. So... Yeah, it was a good experience. I think, um, speaking of pressure, I wasn't under any then. I'd just I'd come from the country and didn't know anything about anything, really. <laughs> I just sort of got up there and it was just another game of cricket for me. Got out and had a bat and a bowl and the game was a draw, so um, no result there. But um, yeah, then it sort of just flowed on from there sort of thing. Do you think that laid-back country boy attitude helped you in the fact that it, it didn't sit heavily on your shoulders? A lot of people would go in at that age really worried about what it was likely to do and what they were likely to encounter, but didn't seem to bother you. Yeah, I think so, uh, especially at the you know playing at an early age. I think that uh, um, not that it would, was a mindset back then; it was just um, the way I was sort of brought up, you know, in the mm. country. So that definitely helped me earlier on. Um, you could probably argue um, throughout my career. It might it might have held held me in a good position um, to deal with some of the you know the pressures and the expectation and the mental game that you come up against as you become more experienced. Um, so yeah, there's all you know there's pluses and you know and there's negatives for um, for all different types of situations, I guess. Tell us about walking into that famous old dressing room at the SCG for your first Shield game and looking around <laughs> you because it, you said you're a child of watching people on television and and. Uh, being impressed by what they did. What was it like when you first walked into that change rooms and looked at some of those faces? Who were who were some of the guys that you really idolised that you were actually playing with? <laughs> well, I remember uh, training at the MCG uh, in the lead up to that to, before going to Sydney, and I remember uh, going to the uh, MCG and just I hadn't I couldn't even get out to the outdoor nets. So I was just lost. I had no idea where I was going, <laughs> so I was, felt embarrassed before it even started. But uh, obviously, once I got on the plane and got up the up to New South Wales. To Sydney, to the into that ground. Then you know Matthew Elliott, Brad Hodge, Darren Berry, um, Paul Rifle was in the team. Um, you know at the back end of his career at that st- at that stage. So um, I think we played against uh, McGill, Nathan Bracken, um, Brett Lee. Mm. You know Stuart Clark. It was a good. It was a very good game of cricket. I remember that. And at that stage, um, you know Chuck Berry would, had everyone on the New South Wales team offside, and they wanted to kill him. So. Uh, it was very Seems strange. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, very spirited uh, rivalry between New South Wales and, uh, and Victoria in those in those days. So I walked straight into that. Probably lucky that I was, you know, oblivious to most of it. So I just went about it. Lucky enough to get a couple of wickets. Um, I think I only made ten or eleven runs. Um, 
But um, and then it sort of you know it sort of played the the rest of that um, season. I think we Victoria made the Sheffield Shield final. I ended up being twelfth uh, man in the in that that season's Sheffield Shield final. I think from memory. And then um, you know the next sort of the next year is when my sort of career probably started. Really, I mm. you know I probably got a contract, um, and you know become a professional player, cricket cricket player. When you were seventeen and you walk into the Shield team for the first time, did you think? It's not going to be that long before I'm captain. It was probably the last thing that ended your yeah, head. Yeah, as I sort of touched on, I wasn't sort of thinking too much. So, yeah, that was the last thing that I was obviously thinking at the time. But uh, I was there just as I'd done probably as a as a junior. And as we touched on before, I was just uh, going about my, my work, which I didn't, you know, it was just what I'd been grown up and taught, uh, what I'd grew up and been taught and, and taught myself. So, and then at the same time, just, you know, just watching and seeing how people go about it and then talking cricket to people because that's what I like to do. So when this captaincy issue is raised at a very tender age, what are the things that go through your head? The, uh, the first thing that probably a lot of people would think is, is this too soon? Yeah, well, I was very lucky from a, from a young age that I had, um, well, I thought that I had a pretty good idea of, you know, how to run a cricket team on the field. Um, so, you know, where who to bowl when and where to put the fielders. And so that, for whatever reason, that just come pretty natural to me. What I had to learn um, and very quickly, you know, being put in that situation was trying to manage, um, you know, players and egos and uh, all different types of personalities. So that was the biggest uh, learning uh, curve for me over the next few years, not just in the next, um, you know, for that that particular season. But I was very lucky that at that stage that Darren Berry was still the captain of the Sheffield Shield team. And just for that next, the rest of that next season, I was just doing the, you know, the one day team. So I didn't really have to do too much other than, you know, just captain a one day team for 50 overs on the field. So it wasn't until sort of later on in the next couple of years when I become um, captain of the, you know, both formats that I had to very quickly learn about, you know, managing players and using the right language with, uh, with, you know, different people at different times. So I definitely learnt some harsh lessons there, um, and and learnt on the on the fly as well. So I made lots of mistakes. Did you ever feel any pushback from people who were more senior to you about you giving orders and telling them where they should be doing things and what they should be doing? Was there ever any rejection from older players who couldn't take instructions from this young whippersnapper? <laughs> Well, luckily, I think I did, as I mentioned there, I think I did have some idea about what was going on in the field. So I never felt any uh, anything like that from a captaincy point of, point of view on the field. But I, you know, I, uh, as a young fella and an, a young captain, I made, you know, I probably said the wrong things to to certain people at the wrong time, which, you know, naturally, I think that just sort of happens in sporting environments. So, yeah, no doubt that certain people would have had the, um, you know, would have been upset with me at certain times. So that was probably where I felt some resentment or at, at different times throughout my captaincy sort of period, um, but never really too much on the on the, on the the field. You've mentioned his name a couple of times, so I'll ask you about Chuck now. <laughs> Is he the best chirper of all time? Oh, I don't know about the, the best, definitely the most. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was, oh, it was great to play with Chuck because, uh, you know, as a younger player and anyone, I don't think it mattered who you were in that team, you, all the attention was on Chuck, so you just flew underneath the radar the whole the whole time. So apart from when, uh, I think Hodges, Brad Hodges said this a few times, if you were ever batting with, with Chuck, the bowlers bowled an extra, they found another gear. So, yeah, yeah you know, he went from someone that's bowling, you know, 130 and then all of a sudden Chuck comes out to bat and they're bowling 145. That was a downside of playing with, with Darren Berry for sure. There's been a lot of talk, Cam, over the years about whether the stump mic should be up or down uh, between deliveries. I remember sitting at home one day watching a match that Chuck was playing in <laughs> and they forgot to bring the stump mic down 
And how that program didn't get an R rating for 30 <laughs> seconds, it was just a tirade. It was um, it was pretty classy stuff. <laughs> no, I think um, – look, actually, I don't think anyone ever took any – not only what um, Chuck or anyone said too personally back in those days, that, but it's actually um, – you know, that was just a – you know, on hard-edged uh, and hard-nosed sort of cricketer going about his work. And, you know, to be honest, most teams had, you know, a person of, you know, uh, a like that. And there's a lot of sledging back in those, you know, early 2000s and even into the mid-2000s. But today's in today's day and age, it's just basically it's the complete opposite, really. You can't mm. really say anything to anyone without anyone sort of getting upset or taking it personally. So, and the Has ump- it gone too far now? Oh, I think so, because I think one of the things that the Victorian teams that I've played in over the last you know period of time throughout career, my career and very successful ones had a very, uh, were very good at finding an edge, really, whether that was verbally or you know, intimidating uh, people. So that was one uh, area that we always tried to exploit and, um, you know, saw it as some some teams had a weakness in that sort of area. And I think, you know, a lot of successful, you know, sporting teams over the, whether it's footy or cricket, whatever it is, you know, I think they look, you look for the competition or the, um, you know, the competition's weakness and trying to exploit it, whether you can do that mentally with some words. uh, You know, I think that's, uh, that's part of, the game to a, obviously the spirit of cricket and there's a line that can't hmm. be crossed but if you can find a weakness in someone's you know mental game or well, you should be able to exploit it what's the difference between just being a, a person who's directed around the cricket ground as compared to the man who's doing the directing because are you always on is it that just that six or seven hours of concentration and you can't afford to have a lapse well, no, yeah, I think you are always on, um, and it's not just the time on the ground. I think once you become a captain of a team, you are thinking about, you know, especially in four-day cricket, you're thinking about the next day. As soon as you walk off the, the field, you're trying to, you know, if it's not the next day, it's the next game, trying to plan and pick teams and, you know, work with your coaching staff. So there's a lot of uh, mental energy that you put into being um, captain, I guess. I, one question that was probably asked to me throughout my career, which is, do you think that um, being captain at an early age you know, hurt my game on a personal level. And I always said um, no, but maybe uh, looking back and having um, having not been captain of most teams that I've played in over the last few years, it pro- maybe, you know, maybe some people may be right. Maybe it's sort of, you know, because you, you're so involved in winning and, and being so passionate about uh, trying to get the team to do the, you know, the best things. You may be sometimes looking back, you you, you you know, you play almost, uh, you care too much sometimes and mm. you, um, you're too involved in the game and not really focusing on what, you know, what you need to do sometimes. But I'd like to think that that wasn't the case. Yeah, well, I guess it's that singular sense of purpose if you're a member of the team, whereas when you're the captain of the team, you're worried about yourself, but you're also worried about the other 11 blokes as well. Yeah, that's right. And in my time when I played cricket overseas and in county cricket in particular, I obviously wanted to, I played to win and played for my teammates and all that sort of stuff, but it wasn't the, quite the same sort of passionate level I had about um, you know, playing for cricket for Victoria, So, which, um, which I felt translated into my batting was a lot of freedom and I always sort of felt as though that I batted my best when I played for an overseas sort of team sort of thing because, you know, although I wanted to win, I just that, there was that sort of, not selfish edge, but I could just play with a bit more freedom where I, you know, I wasn't really so passionately involved in the contest. So that's why I might, I might think if I wasn't sort of if I wasn't captain as much, I might have made a few more runs. But anyway, that's hindsight, isn't it? What's your best win as captain? What's what's the time where it all came together and you thought you made all the right decisions <laughs> and you contributed yourself? Uh, look, I, I'm not sure to be honest, but I, you know, I'm very lucky to play in. Um, 
half a dozen Shield finals. So I captained, I think, two or three, three of those. So any of those ones are good. I don't really mind which ones they are. Still a place for Shield cricket. It's such a, a bedrock for the national team. Um, there's been a lot of discussions over the years, and a lot of them have been centred around the fact that nobody goes, but it's <laughs> way more than that. Yeah, well, you can't, uh, as a young player coming through, you can't just play for Australia. You need somewhere to yeah. play first, or you can't just... Um, be good at 2020 because you've you know because you've played under 17s or under 19s for your state or for your school or something like that so cricketers in Australia need somewhere to play I'd imagine so it's the stronger I've always been you know uh, a believer in the stronger we can get the domestic competitions and surely that's going to hold us in a good place to have the strongest possible um, Australian team which is the most important thing. Well I think you only have to look at West Indies cricket to realise that because there was probably a dilution of the um, the next standard down from Test cricket for a while there for the West Indies, and it just hammered them when it came to Test cricket. Yeah, that's right, and they're probably still seeing the effects of that now. Um, you know, they whether I think that was over a money dispute that they weren't paying them pretty much the players mm. anything like they could probably get, like um, to go and play in the. Well, basically, they only really play twenty twenty these days. The, the the West Indies cricketers come back together like they've done in this World Cup, um, four World Cups and big events. But um, yeah, it's basically. I guess you need to keep your domestic competitions um, attractive for younger players and for anyone that's, you know, half-decent cricketer. Otherwise, you're just going to lose them to, why wouldn't they go and just play, you know, 2020 comp if you can be good enough to do that? Is one of the best parts, Cam, about wearing the blue cap, the fact that you get to play at the G? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was obviously uh, something you take probably for granted as a younger player. Um, you know, coming from the country, you sort of, you're playing another game of cricket on the, you know, on, a, on an oval, but uh, as you get a bit older and you get a bit more experienced and you realise, you know, the history of the place and, um, you know, you look around at the, the signage boards and the the achievement boards on the in the dressing rooms, um, yeah, you sort of, towards the back end of my career, especially, you know, you're, you're walking out on the MCG and you sort of, you walk a bit taller and you feel like you, you, you get a really good understanding of how lucky that I, you know, lucky that you are to be playing, you know, a game of sport that you love on the on the MCG. And just finally, on those six Sheffield Shields, uh, what was the best celebration? Oh, uh, probably to be honest, that one oh three oh four the year of David Hooks's passing. That was that was a good one, um, and that was my first. So I was I was able to handle it a bit better then as well. I was a bit younger. Don't back up as well these days. These days, and um, now that I'm a bit older, but um, yeah, that was the you know back then that was you know fifteen almost twenty years ago or eighteen years ago. So. You know, you could really let your hair down a bit more then as well. Yeah. All right, we've spoken about county cricket. We've spoken about Sheffield Shield cricket. When we come back, we'll talk about test cricket. We might even revisit Sachin Tendulka. And, <laughs> and you can trim that story up you told us before and make it sound as though you were the one who got him rather than the darkness. <laughs> Cameron White is my guest on this edition of Celebrating World Cup Lives. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. What a pleasure it's been to have Cameron White as my guest. Still plenty more to come with the Victorian star, the Big Bash star, the county cricket star and the man who got Sachin Tendulkar out with his uh, first test wicket and got him out again after that. What number are you of test players? Uh, 402. Okay. Uh, yep, Peter Siddle, 403. We debuted in the same series, but um, it was a very interesting time for me um, to be playing Test cricket. I thought um, I was picked as a bowler, but funny enough, as my, at that stage of my career as a bowler um, playing Victoria, I thought I was just sort of 
I was bowling okay, but I was sort of to start to struggle a little bit with it. And just at that time, I was, you know, picked as, um, I think uh, Bryce McGain might have been injured. I can't remember the uh, situation around that. He was, yeah. He was ruled out and I I was flying over and straight into the first test. But interestingly, at that time, I was sort of starting to lose a bit of confidence with my bowling. And here I am in India, you know, trying to bowl to, you know, probably one of the, the greatest ever sort of top six that India have put together, you know, Sachin, Laxman. Seawag, uh, Seawag, Ganguly, um, I think MS Dhoni was starting off his, you know, well into his career by then as well. So, um, look, I gave him my absolute best shot. I thought I did for, for, for the first three games, although I didn't get another, you know, a heap of wickets or anything like that. I sort of thought I played my role within um, within the team. And then in the last last game, I bowled some bad balls. Um, I think it was in the first or the second innings. And, um, you know, from there, I really lost a lot of confidence. And it took me even, you know, a lot of time to get back uh, to get my bowling back to a level where I could be, even bowl for Victoria after that, so that left me um, with a lot of sort of like mental scarring and 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 dented and dented my confidence a lot. So it was a very interesting uh, time to you know make your test debut. I wasn't sort of I was never going to say no, obviously, but um, I definitely wasn't at the top of my game, sort of mentally and and co- you know and with confidence in my bowling at that at that stage. So how do you get over something like that? Oh, I just um, it was very difficult once. Um, once I sort of finished that series, and then uh, as I said, bowled some bad balls in that last test. So, um, and people would just say, would come up to me and say, "Oh, look, you just got to keep bowling." But it, like, I didn't have enough confidence to just go out and just, you know, I didn't know where they were going to go. Let alone, um, you know, there was no, it wasn't just as simple as just, you know, go out and bowl. But I think, um, you know, going back and maybe playing a few games where I could fit them in of district cricket sort of gave me with le- less pressure and I could get some overs under my belt. I sort of got a bit of confidence back, but. Obviously, at that stage, the dom- the domestic schedule didn't really allow me to go back and you know play a whole lot of district cricket. So, and at that stage, I think I might have been playing as um, I can't remember who was you know bowling spin. I mightn't have been the the front line spinner. So I wasn't getting a heap of overs bowling for Victoria at that stage. So yeah, I just needed to. It was an interesting time. I just needed to get back and bowl some more overs, and I probably didn't get a chance because I was obviously still I was by that stage batting you know number five or six for Victoria and playing mainly as a batsman. So. It was an interesting time. Did you see yourself as a batsman? When you consider yourself as a cricketer at that time, did you see yourself as a bowler or a batsman? Um, I think as a junior, I always just, uh, I batted pretty high in the in the order. So I always sort of thought I saw myself as a, as a batsman, but just so happened that I got into, you know, the Victorian team as a bowler and batting number, I think, eight or nine in my first game. And then slowly it sort of, my batting caught up to my bowling and uh, eventually probably took over. So... Well, we'll definitely took over. So, yeah, look, even by that time I uh, I played test cricket, I was probably, you know, I was fancying myself more as a batsman by then. So it was a bit of a weird situation to be, you know, playing in the in the Australian team as a bowler. We know you as a massive hitter of the cricket ball. You can hit the ball prodigious distances. <laughs> was that always the case from a young age? Yeah, as I said uh, to you earlier, Pete, I was, I was always a bigger bigger lad as a, as a younger fella. So I had a bit of weight behind my, uh, my shot. So, um yeah, look, I look. I just like any young kid, even today's today's day and age. I liked hitting the six over midweek over cow corner, and more than most. So, yeah, when I got the ch- chance to swing hard when it was pitched up, I that's what I did. So, with that attitude and knowing that you can hit the ball a long way, is it difficult? to temper yourself in test cricket because it, it's a different mindset. Sometimes you have to be there. You just have to occupy an end. Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, it wasn't difficult. You just that was just your job as a cricketer. You had to you know adjust to the certain uh, 
you know, uh, style of game, whether it was um, once the 2020 game come in, it was just, a, you know, a batsman's and, well, a batsman and bowler's job to just flick between the the different formats. Um, we used to play Sheffield Shield cricket and then, you know, a day later we'd flip into a game of, you know, Mercantile Mutual or ING Cup or whatever it was, a you know, a day later sort of thing. So, and then uh, very quickly, you know, a, a window come in for some 2020 cricket. So, yeah, it was just about flipping between the, the formats. So you just had to adjust accordingly as a, as a player. I think it's no different these days either. Do you reckon the one-day game, Cam, and in particular Big Bash later on, has influenced the way that Test cricket is played? Because I remember as a kid growing up, you know, that two twenty two hundred scores were not um, unusual at all. But these days, 300 in a day of test cricket is the norm rather than the exception. Do you think that's because of the influence of the shorter forms? Yeah, maybe a little bit. We seem to, the grounds might have got a bit smaller. It seems as though like yeah. we didn't have uh, boundaries or, or fences sometimes. It seems like, um, you know, even thinking back to the MCG on the square boundaries and Adelaide Oval back in the day, you know, they used to be able to, you know, almost run five straight down the ground at Adelaide Oval, couldn't mm. you? But now it seems that, you know, you just, you just time one down there and, it, you know, the the facilities and the the oval and the grass is just immaculate, so it just runs away. So maybe there's a you know the touch of the 2020 element come into it as well. But um, yeah, even the commentators are saying you know you've got to be you know today you've got to you know they don't like anyone you know it's not if you're three for you know 240 at the end of a day's test play you know you still the doors sort of ajar it's about scoring scoring runs maybe be six or seven down for 350 or 360 so it seems to be the trend. Apart from getting Sachin in the dark, <laughs> what was your best moment in Test cricket? Uh, I'll probably just receive my cap. To be honest, it was yeah. you know something you dream about as a young player. Who gave it to you? Uh, geez, yeah, I think Ricky Ponting actually. He was the captain at the time, so he presented me with my cap. Um, Do you remember what he said to you, or was it all a blur? No, it was definitely a blur. I was probably uh, very nervous at the time, uh, so um, I didn't sleep much for those for those few tests that I played. I can tell you that right now. Um, but no, to receive my um, cap from Ricky, someone that um, to this day I you know, respect, probably the most respected pl- person in Australian cricket and world cricket, I think. So um, it's great to see him you know, on the you know, flip, uh, changing subjects back involved with the Australian team and, and doing so well, sprinkling some lots of magic dust, I think he is at the moment. So I think he's most of the reason why we're doing so well. We're just about out of time, so I'll take a break and I'll come back and I'll ask you about some of the T20 and especially that final, that incredible final. It was a good one. Yeah, it wasn't bad. They'll be talking about it for a few years uh, to come. And I'll also talk about another sporting passion that you might have as well with um, the four-legged variety. <laughs> That's all with Cameron White when we come back on the other side of the break on our edition of Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals. You're listening to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating Lives. Our final segment with Cameron White on this edition of Celebrating World Cup Lives, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. That final, that Big Bash final, Whitey? It's a very sweet victory, that's for sure. Obviously, my circumstances around uh, coming across from to the Renegades from the Stars. And then, um, you know, after playing for the for the Stars and sort of uh, losing quite a few semi-finals, and then uh, you know switching across to the Renegades and the Stars, the game being, you know, you sort of uh, that fr- the franchise at the Stars always sort of you can sort of feel the pressure, you know, um, that the players are under, and it sort of felt like it was no different to when um, when I played there um, as a 
you know, when the in the first couple of seasons. So um, the whole the way that game unfolded, I don't think um, you know it could have been uh, could have worked out any better for you know from a personal satisf- satisfaction level. Mm. You know it pretty well from your time at the Stars, of course. A little bit, yep. Yeah, could you believe that the same thing happened? in kind of different circumstances to what had happened to Collingwood in the grand final <laughs> just a few short months earlier? Yeah, um, obviously, yeah, it wasn't a great uh, great time for, for, for Eddie and his two sporting teams, was it? So, but um, uh, look, it was just, uh, you know, it was a great something I hadn't sort of ticked off in Australian cricket um, at that stage. So, um, obviously, my good, good friend of mine, uh, Dan Christian, had sort of come across from the Hobart Hurricanes and sort of played obviously a fantastic final series. So to share sort of like moments along with some other good teammates um, and just the whole, the way that game sort of unfolded was just, you know, it was very, very enjoyable. So something I'll look back and probably remember you know, long into, you know, when I finished up playing. One last point as someone who's been around for the duration of the Big Bash, did you see it getting as big as it has become? Yeah, I think so. I think just the feeling of like the not only uh, the fans, but just the players that were sort of you know just into it, and then even those early years before the big bash kicked off, playing you know under the you know the state sort of banner, um, I think you could sort of feel it's going to be something. And then obviously probably before the big bash kicked off, I felt it in playing county cricket. I think they were the you know the pioneers almost of the I think they were of twenty twenty cricket. So. Yeah, you could sort of feel it. it sort of had some legs and then obviously you know, Cricket Australia created the big bash and it's sort of, it's huge really. And of course the IPL was essentially the forerunner. How how crazy is that? How mad is that playing in that league? <laughs> yeah, I guess um, trying to explain to people that either haven't been to India or don't really understand you know cricket so much um, coming from, especially from Melbourne, a footy sort of AFL town, it's sort of like uh, almost... You know, every game of IPL and game of cricket in India is like an AFL grand final, pretty much. That's just how the passionate the fans are. It's their number one sport, obviously, um, and they just love cricket and they love their, you know, their idols. Now that you know Virat Kohli and MS Dhoni, these types of players. Now that you know Sachin and and Seawag have, have sort of finished up playing, so they are just so passionate about cricket and the, and the people that play it. So and they're just mad for it. Yeah, it's one of the big sporting events in the world, and we are lucky in this um, state and this country that we have some of the big sporting events in the world. And there's one that goes on on the first Tuesday of November at Flemington, <laughs> but I think you don't mind either. You you like the horses. Yeah, I still own a few horses. Um, Any fast ones? Uh, actually, the two two or three I've got at the moment, probably some of my <laughs> faster ones that uh, I've had over the sort of my horse ownership career, if you can say that, if that's a term. What got you interested in the horses? Oh, I just, um, probably just my mates. We always just enjoyed, you know, putting a quaddy on a, on a Saturday and just watching the, having a bit of a pump, watching the watching the nag. So that sort of turned into sort of, you know, why don't we sort of get a, not that we've ever been uh, spending millions of bucks or anything like that, but a couple of toenails here and there and, um, you know, try to find one that could run fast enough to, to win a couple of races. So, yeah, it's always a, it's a good thrill when you have a horse that can win a race at any level, really. But um, I look the Melbourne Cup, like you, Pete. I'm sort of you know it's sort of uh, fascinates me really. I'd love yeah. to. I've never really had staying sort of bred horses, but I'd uh, you know I probably can't afford it to be honest. But um, you know it'd be great to have a you know a runner and um, you know even anything that could stay a trip would be exciting. Yeah, I understand that people say oh it's a two mile handicap, but it's a lot more than that now. It used to be a two mile handicap probably a couple of decades ago, but now it's a world-regarded race and the prize money uh, is in line with the event itself. It's unique. Yeah, that's right. And as, as you touched on there, you've got, um, you know, you're trying to, from a punter's point of view, you're trying to line up form for more around the world. And I think that sort of, 
you can see the passion, especially coming from the from the UK with the you know the the Raiders that come across over the last sort of well since vintage crop really. Um, you can see how passionate people are about it, not only here in Australia but but overseas as well. So. You know, it is the race that stops the nation. It is indeed, and it will be for as long as they run it. And uh, the nation has been stopping to watch the World Cup and Australia's exploits over recent weeks. And it's been great that you've been able to join us at this time where cricket is at the forefront of a lot of people's sporting passion. Uh, Congratulations on what you've been able to do. And it's been lovely to relive some of the great moments of your (laughs) career. No worries. Thank you. And I've just dimmed the lights in the studio just to make you feel at home with the darkness for Sachin. Yeah, no. If he was in here, he still couldn't see. <laughs> well done, Cam. Thank you. Cameron White joining us on this edition of Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Enjoy the rest of the World Cup. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.